This is Back to Excitement with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool. From Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 106. My name is Arvin. Join me as always, my colleague from PetroTanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Uh, we took last week off because there was not a lot to talk about. Um, frankly, I think we were both kind of surprised that we managed nine kind of hockey-less podcasts in the first place. It was uh, quite a run of trying to pull something out of nothing, but we have enough news this week to do a podcast, we feel like. Yes. And so uh, here we are. Yep. And I think going forward, we'll try and keep it bi-weekly. There'll probably be enough news for that. And then we're going to discuss kind of the more concrete plans of reopening now in the NHL. And when that happens, we'll we'll go weekly as, as needed. Um, but first, the Leafs made some news. They signed, re-signed rather, Adam Brooks. Yeah, Adam Brooks has been in the organization since 2016. He was drafted as an overager that year in the fourth round. I remember you and I both thought he was interesting Mm -hmm. because he'd absolutely torched the WHL that year. Now he did it as an older player, but still he had a ton of points. So the knock on Brooks has been, he's not very big and he's not very fast and his injury history is not terrific. He's had some concussion issues, but he's a smart player by most accounts, and he's pretty versatile. You know, he does what the coach wants him to do. He got into seven games this year. They went fine. He had a positive XG and three assists. I don't know that there's anything more than a guy who can cycle in on the fourth line there. But even if he does so at seven hundred and twenty-five grand, that's the price we want to pay. So Yeah, and just to provide the details, it's, it's a two-year 7.25 per year million uh 7.25k per year uh contract right so he's 24 right now he'll expire as an rfa still Mm -hmm. um any contract thereafter will take him to ufa that's not really something we have to consider with with brooks too much like i he's a guy as you said you know he's fine to cycle in on the fourth line i don't have any issue with him playing there probably not a long-term fixture on this team and perhaps not a long-term fixture in the NHL he's going to be one of those guys who you know kind of has to scrap and claw on a a yearly basis probably to Mm -hmm. maintain his roster spot yeah I would note also that Brooks has a lot of well I don't want to overstate this based on his junior days but you know he did have an offensive history as kind of a playmaker and with the Marlies he's been learning some more defensive skill sets, because if he's only getting into the NHL on fourth lines, you're only going to get so many points playing with, say, Freddie Gauthier, or the usual denizens of that line. So, yeah, I think it's a good signing. I I like him a lot. I, I would like to, you know, see as much of him as possible, and, you know, there's still a miracle scenario where he jumps into the middle six, but he's, right now he's an end-of-lineup guy, and that's fine. Yeah, I I wouldn't even be, I guess, weaker on this than you were. I don't think it's even necessarily good. It's just like, yeah, it's okay. Like, there, there's nothing objectionable about it, but it's also, I don't think there's really any upside or anything here. It's just, it's one of those, you know, keep the business ticking moves that, you know, you you know not every move is going to be particularly impactful or has the potential to be particularly impactful. It's just something you do um, to give yourself a bit more organizational depth, give yourself a bit more of insulation to to injuries especially to centers it's useful to have a guy who can play center Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't i don't have any issue with this at all yeah i would say insofar as that there's any special value there it's literally that it's 725 and not say 925 yeah because with our straightened cap circumstances we may actually want the 200k so yeah anyway it's just kind of a signing the reason we didn't do a podcast last week was because that segment would have been pretty much the whole thing Mm-hmm. And so you've checked, and we are now at four and a half minutes. So it would have been a really short pod. Yes. Um, worth noting, so on, on Cap Friendly, <clears throat> they they denote his minor salary in each year as 100K, but he has mm-hmm. a minimum guaranteed salary of 175K next year and 200K the following year. Um, and I, I, I think that matters more 
in the case of teams that are not the Leafs because the Leafs and the Marlies, I mean, it, it's different bank accounts, but it's the same purse at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but for another team, that, that means if, if he got traded or moved to another team, their AHL team would only be on the hook for 100k each year if he was there. Um, and the NHL team would have to cough up the remainder the remainder to get him to his minimum guaranteed salary. Yeah, and you know you wouldn't think that that would be an enormous amount of money, but you never know. Uh, as you say, there are different entities that have to provide for this. Yeah, and for so, the Leafs, I'm guessing it, it basically doesn't matter at all. No, I wouldn't think so. But at any rate, yeah, uh, I like him as one of those sort of fringe of lineup guys go who, let's be honest, aren't, like, superstars in the making. I probably like him more than most of them, but that is what it is. It's it's a contest to be on the fourth line. And so I, I wish him luck in that. Yeah. I, I think one thing, and you alluded to this, one thing that does kind of help him is his malleability, where he, he seems, and I think Alex Kerfoot kind of falls into this boat too, where they seem like the type of people who will execute what the coach wants. Like, they're not going mm-hmm. to make mental mistakes. They're not going to go free will. They know what their capabilities are. Yeah, uh, you know, that's very important at that spot in the lineup because, as we were saying, you're probably not going to be Mr. Offensive Superstar uh, as a fourth-line left-winger center. Uh, and it's probably relevant when you compare him to someone like Pontus Aberg, who seems to have genuine NHL offensive talent, but he doesn't quite have enough of it to stick at the top of the lineup, and he doesn't have the trust of coaches necessary to stick lower down. And the result seems to be that he may end up in the KHL next year. So, yeah, I certainly can see Brooks turning into some sort of player that you hear his name a fair amount. Or not. You know, like, it may end up that his NHL career stops at seven games. It's not easy being a French guy. Yep, very much so. Um, This is also a good point to remind people that basically no matter how good a guy is in their kind of age 19 and 20 years in junior hockey, don't bet on them to be anything outstanding if they're still in junior hockey at 19 or 20. Yeah, with Brooks, it had to be like he was scoring so much that it made him interesting as a fourth round pick, you know? Like, it's not like, at his age, 120 points in 72 games is really that impressive in terms of getting an NHL player out of it. It just, it got it to the point where it was like, oh, well, that is a lot. But even so, they're inflated numbers. So Yeah, exactly. And I, I guess that, that speaks more to what you do as a 20-year-old. Like, 19-year-olds, there are still, like, 19-year-olds in, in the CHL who are putting up crazy numbers and are very good. But Brooks, when he was 19, I think only put up point per game, which is not that impressive. He, he's really just kind of an odd player development thing because his draft year was, was so, so poor uh, offensively. Yeah, he was very much a late bloomer. And he seems to have had something of a different development path, maybe, where he's kind of slow but steady worked his way up. The organization seems to like him. And I have to say even though he was picked in 2016, he seems a bit like the Kyle Dubas pick of that draft, if you want to, to zero in on one. I recognize that it's not necessarily fair to do that. I'm just observing he's somewhat undersized, but all of his scouting reports describe him as, you know, like a heady player, even though he doesn't have dazzling physical skill. And we've seen Kyle Dubas pick those players again and again in more mm-hmm. recent drafts. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, cool. So that's probably... As much Adam Brooks content as we can gin up, realistically. Um, we made <laughs> We're it, maxed we, out now. Yeah, we made it to 9 minutes, 12 seconds, right? Yeah. Well, Which is that, pretty good. I think that's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the real kind of notable news this week has been kind of more firm guidelines on how the NHL is, is handling the potential for reopening and restarting the league. Yes, uh, the NHLPA has voted on what sounds like the sort of early draft of a format. There are still details that need to be finalized, and we'll see how those things get resolved, but uh, the League and the Union are moving forward on discussions on restarting with a 2014 playoff. 
we talked about this before. As people who like the regular season to mean something, we're not huge on the 2014 thing. Um, that said, uh, this is what they're going to do, and there are economic reasons for doing it, especially if you're concerned, frankly, about the strength of your, t your league financially. And so getting Montreal and Chicago in there, as you do by including teams to rank 23rd and 24th, probably makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, I mean, there, there's multiple ways you can look at this. It's, and you know, friend of the pod, Alan uh, at Loser Points on Twitter, uh, over at Raw Charge, kind of wrote an article, which essentially is counter to what you and I think, really. Where where he said this is completely fine. Like it's just embrace it. Playoffs are inherently random, anyways. This just tilts the scale a little further into the the realm of randomness, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, depending on your point of view, that can be fine. The, the reality is there's not going to be a perfect system for everyone because the NHL, you know, has obligations to sponsors and TV deals. And there's a lot of other things that we are not really aware of from the outside that may be playing into this decision. It might be as naked a cash grab as, hey, let's get Montreal and, um, and Chicago playing at least two more games each. But, you know, there, there's other factors there too. I... I don't love it from a competition point of view, just simply because um, it, it, it makes it even more random. And I, we've talked about that, I guess, in the previous podcast. We probably don't need to relitigate re that here. Um, but, you know, as someone who wants the playoffs to at least somewhat represent, you know, who are the best teams, adding more randomness is not something I particularly love. Granted, the playoffs were, were never particularly about rewarding the best teams anyways. It's the teams that, that win, which are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it, the whole point of the playoffs as an entertainment product is a balance between fairness and unpredictability. And we would generally prefer it not to be totally unfair. You know, that's why we have seating and why we don't allow everyone into the playoffs. We'd like it to have some sort of precondition. But we also want it to be, you know, a crazy, wild two-month tournament. And I take Alan's point that once you've accepted the NHL playoffs at all, you've accepted a big honking dose of unpredictability. And you're just arguing about where to put the slider. Yeah, but I do think that there is some use in having the slider there. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want a 32-team tournament. It'd be funny to see Seattle put something together, actually. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't love this outcome. It is what it is. I kind of understand why it happened, I think, if you'll forgive a certain amount of cynicism, but I also get it. The league has uh, some reasons that I can at least understand. So, you know, it is what it is. And I guess if they can make everything else work, and I still have a lot of questions that I don't have answers to about the actual health and safety aspect of this, which is, I think, pretty significant. But if they can make that work, then, you know, power to them and we'll get some hockey back. Yes. So, actually, we should explain what the playoff system is, because we haven't done that yet. Um, yes. Okay, so the, I'm doing this kind of from memory, so tell me if I'm wrong, but the top four seeds in each conference are essentially given a buy into the quote-unquote real playoffs. Right? Yes. They, 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 what would traditionally be the conference quarterfinals. Um, so, in the East, that is Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philly. In the West, that is St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas. Right. Right? So that's the top two in each division, which might not actually be the same as the top four in each conference, uh, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't have the standings in front of me. Um, then the remaining uh, 16 teams, so from 9 to 24, within conference, though. So um, the, the 8th and ninth seed in the, in the East play, the 5th and 12th seed in the East plays, and so on like that. Right, and they have mm -hmm. a—is it a best of five or a best of three? Best of five. It's a best of five uh, series to see who play, who moves to the real playoffs, essentially. Yeah. Right. And while this is happening, the top four teams in each conference will have a round robin to determine the seeding. Right. And I think the idea behind that is to make sure they get a chance to work off some rust. Yeah, as much as anything, because. If you have a bunch of teams that are already playing, there is the fear that they will get uh, back into game shape 
faster than the other seeds who may start getting jumped in the second round or the actual first round. You yes. know, we talked about what, is this system good for the Leafs or bad for the Leafs and that was how we were going to evaluate it. Well, it's not great for the Leafs. If no. you were hoping that on points percentage the Leafs would be given a playoff spot because they were in one at the time, then they've moved a step back from that. They now have a five-round playoff if they can make it through to win the Cup. Uh, and that's too bad for us. So, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, it's basically every playoff team that is not in the top four of their conference is is hurt by this. And I think probably the most hurt is Pittsburgh. Yes. Because uh, Pittsburgh was, like, you know, very solidly in a playoff spot, and now they have to play a best-of-five against Montreal. And there, there's been some funny reporting about how Pittsburgh was, like, not really on board with this because, you know, they're worried about Carey Price. You know, Carey Price hasn't been, really been a great goalie for a while. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's still certainly good enough, just as almost any any NHL goaltender is. They're certainly good enough to steal a five-game series. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have to get hot for that long he, it, it, to if, knock them if off. If Carey Price uh, has two great games, that is enough. Because Montreal will probably, you know, they're, they're a good enough team that they can beat Pittsburgh, even with Price playing average in one game. Yeah, and as we've talked about before, Montreal remains a very strong shots team. Like, they're not going to be an easy out. Like, seriously. Um, Even if I would bet on Pittsburgh to win that series, I don't know. I would be pissed too. Yeah, the the thing is, a best of five series between any two teams of reasonable quality is not far away from a toss-up. Mm-hmm. Especially when there's no real home ice advantage. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's some, is there not? You, you have one team that can win winning only home, ga- home games. No, but the they, other team. what's a home game in this scenario? You're in the same spot. Yeah. <laughs> there's no it's crowd. entirely valid. I wasn't even thinking of the logistics of it, because of course these are probably going to be done in hub cities. Yes. And unless Toronto wins a bidding... In which case, then they have home ice advantage. But then there's no fans anyways. That's true. Right? So, so like, you get the last change. Yeah, which is the most obvious tactical thing. But yeah, you, you know, you don't have the crowds. And, you know, the, the living situations are going to be altered to such a degree that even if you are in your home city, I wonder how much of that is like you have the same level of comfort that presumably ties into uh, your home ice advantage because you're more used to where you're sleeping and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's unclear. And we talked about this maybe three or four pods ago when we were talking about reopening plans. Um, and you alluded to this earlier today, where you said, you know, I'm not really sure about the health aspect of this. And that's still incredibly unclear. Yes, and they're saying things or things are being said from these discussions that don't sound great to me, frankly. Yeah. Um, Sam Car. Chidi, uh, yeah. I believe his name is Sam, yep. um, tweeted that um, the NHL says even if there are two infections on a team, it doesn't necessarily mean the entire team will be quarantined. That sounds problematic from here. I agree with Sam. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that sounds fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it could be really bad. And that, you know, well, I mean, what's the, the next scene after two players test positive? It's probably four players test positive, you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> like this is this is this is a league that has struggled to contain mumps. <laughs> I am encouraged to hear that the NHL is going to cancel the annual games of spin the bottle that they do before every playoff series. That might help. But yeah, uh, so it, it's they're, they're still not a. Sat- this is the point we brought up before. There's no satisfying answer to what happens when one person gets infected. Yeah, and I really don't know how that's going to go. And the thing is, like, so the German Bundesliga soccer is restarting and has mm-hmm. has done so. I think this is the second week of it kind of going on. Um, and I guess some of the same issues will arise there, like what happens if someone tests positive. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple, I guess, different things. One, they're playing fewer games, I think, than the NHL would be because of the playoff series. Right? Yeah. Um, two, the game itself probably has less exchange of bodily fluid although not none yeah and well 
And soccer is sort of quasi-outside. Yes. You know? Yeah, that's the third thing I was going to mention. It, it It's outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think the same problem exists in the Bundesliga, where what happens if, you know, for Bayern Munich, what happens if Robert Lewandowski te- uh, tests positive for, for, for COVID? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't read about what their contingency plan is. But the other thing is, Germany's in a much better spot than either Canada or the USA. Yeah, I have to say, not to pronounce too hard on this, but the point of a lot of the measures that we have undertaken was to up hospital and testing capacity so that when we came out of it, we had a better shot at managing things. Right now, I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence that things are going to be that much better managed in terms of do we have contact tracing at a high level or that sort of thing. Yeah, it's been very at least in Canada, and I haven't followed it too closely in the U.S., but in Canada, it's been very province-dependent. Ontario and Quebec have been lagging far behind. Um, B.C. has done quite well. A lot of the Maritimes are have done quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, the, the less populous and less dense provinces have some inherent advantages. Yeah. That, you know, makes it easier to manage than it does for say toronto but bc for example has done a very very good job and and vancouver's you know not a sparse city by any means so yeah and well i I won't get too far out of my depth there but the result is we're not in a situation where we can forecast a huge improvement from reopening now over what would have been reopening two months ago you know we just don't know that we have changed things enough to prevent a really serious second wave or mitigate a second wave. Bringing that back around to the NHL, I'm not sure what's going to be that different this time that deals with like the actual physical qualities of playing hockey on the ice. There's no way to play hockey in any recognizable form and not have a severe risk. No, just the proximity is so inherent in that game. And that's even putting aside you know, the shared arrangements with the you know team locker rooms and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I Tyson Berry will be fine, but everyone else. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a bit of problem there that I don't think that I've really seen addressed at a level that I think I would have to see before I would say with confidence this is going to work. Yeah, and and to be fair, there is a significant amount of time. This is not happening next week. This is probably not even happening next month. No. Right? Like, this would... I think the reporting is like they would target, like, starting in July. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, the world seems to change so much in a few weeks at this rate. So, who knows where we'll be by that point. Um, And maybe they have a better idea than they're saying in terms of how they're going to go about it. I would certainly hope so. And I'm sure there are a lot of details that they're hashing out. But I do think you have to acknowledge the risk you're asking people to undertake here. And that's true of everyone who's been forced to work during COVID. And that certainly includes a lot of workers who are less privileged in some ways in the NHL. But the fact remains the same. You have teams and staff and people around them. And they're returning to an environment that has some dangers to it. Especially for athletes who, like, we still don't know really the long-term effects of, of the virus. Yeah, that's another thing. You've seen some people saying, oh, well, the death rate for people in the standard athlete age bracket, which is in the NHL is about 20 to 38 mostly, uh, they have a very low death rate. You know, this, this disease primarily kills the elderly. And it's like, well, one... As we've mentioned, it's like, you know, there's still enough of a death rate that it's pretty serious. Two, there are staff, there are people around the teams who are not professional athletes. There are a lot of them. Coaches you know. are, many coaches are above 60. Yeah. And, you know, even putting that aside, if there are long-term ramifications on your respiratory system uh, for a professional athlete, that could be devastating. You know, I'm not saying that they can't try to come back. I think they will, and I understand there are a lot of reasons why. And at a certain point, I get that there is some acceptance of risk. 
but you'd better be damn sure you know what you're facing up to going into this. And so that leaves a lot of stuff that's TBD about this whole system. I, I can't pronounce on it beyond to say that it seems like it would take a lot of things that I don't know if are there yet, but it probably has to be mentioned. Yep, pretty much. Um, so it, it's... Yeah, it, there's a lot still unknown. And as you said, like we, we, it's not feasible, realistically, to continue to you know, have everyone completely stop all activity, right? Um, but, so we do have to accept some level of risk, but that doesn't mean being stupid about it, right? There's yeah, a balance, right? There, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a line you have to, you have to walk, and, and the reality is the, how, the better the virus is managed on, like, a governmental and public health level, the easier it will be to reopen stuff and get back to a normal level of human engagement and interaction yeah exactly so we'll see kind of how all of that plays out over the coming weeks but at present taking for granted that this is how things are probably going to go we now have a new semi first round opponent to worry about the columbus blue jackets and so i guess the consolation is we're not playing boston yet although Boston is the the first seed, so if if they win the round robin, um, our path would lead in our path leads into Boston seed basically. But that that matters so little to me. Like it doesn't, because they're you know, <laughs> a, a, any anyone saying oh yeah I'm quite confident one of these four teams will be the top seed is is lying. Hockey's random enough in general, let alone coming off you know a three month layoff. Yeah, we don't know what the relative levels of conditioning are going to look like and everything else. And I don't think anybody does. It's going to be a bit of a gong show to start off. And the thing about this best of five series is that you are going to have a couple of teams who are out on their ass in a hurry. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see. It's kind of an unprecedented situation to have this long of a layoff before going directly into an elimination series. Yes. So, so on the Columbus yeah. side, um, they're, they're a good team, obviously. They've kind of been punching above what you would expect for their roster, helped largely by great goaltending from Eunice Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens. Um They were also very, very injured. Extremely injured. And I think I've mentioned this before, but if you're trying to look at the teams who were the most damaged by injury this year, it's Columbus and Pittsburgh in some order. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Cam Atkinson, Seth Jones have all missed meaningful amounts of time this year. That's two top six forwards and their best defensemen, probably. All of them should be healthy by the time this series starts to happen. And so... The team that we have a lot of material for, you know, partly ravaged by injuries, doesn't look all that great. They have a lesser stat profile than the Leafs. They're more defensive, but they don't have a ton of scoring, so they rely on their goaltending. But the team that we face is going to be stronger. And I think that they will look quite different. The lineup as it was at the time the league kind of took off, it was basically Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of motoring a iffy top line, and then Gustav Nyquist was at that point on the second line. And that's not a huge amount of offensive firepower if those guys are unsupported. Yeah, Columbus's forward group doesn't have a lot of big names. They have some sneaky good guys. You know, Cam Atkinson, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Nyquist and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Oliver Bjorkstrand's a favorite of mine. Yeah, and they'll be getting him back. So, you know... Once they get that together, they will have more surrounding talent. And, you know, we, we took our time bringing this up, but as everyone remembers, Columbus played an excellent offensive Tampa Bay team really hard last year and swept them in a huge upset. Uh, Columbus, at its best, can be a really grinding team. And my fear is that they're the kind of team that can make Toronto look like they're skating in mud a little bit. Yeah, I I always associate Columbus with like dreary Fre February games on like a Wednesday, where 
the Leafs all look hungover. And it, yep. it, it's not entirely the Leafs doing. It's Columbus doing a good job forechecking. I'd say they're one of the best forechecking teams in the league. Yes, and, and that was something that was remarked on last year. Yeah, and lightning. you know the, the Leafs' defense making quick decisions under pressure is not the, the forte of many of them, mm-hmm. right? So they can be potentially susceptible to a fast forward-checking team. I mean, if you if you subscribe to the idea that the Leafs are like a worse Tampa, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when we had Allen on at the start of the year, he, he said that, like, he was mildly worried about Columbus because he thought they matched up well with Tampa in, in the sense of they're not going to... They're going to do everything in their power to, to make offensive teams have to grind, mm-hmm. right? The Leafs and Tampa... The Leafs might be a better team than Columbus, right? Certainly they're more dangerous on paper, but Tampa's probably more comfortable playing the game that the Leafs would allow them to play, right? Because the Leafs are going to say, okay, it's our offense versus your offense, right? Let's see who scores more. Mm-hmm. Columbus is going to try and take that away. And it's it's kind of the same idea with, with, with how they would approach us. Yeah, I, I do think, and this is reading psychology in a little bit, but I think Tampa Bay got punched in the mouth last year, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, and they just weren't ready to come back until they were eliminated. You know, it's it's unforgiving to go out in four games because no matter what you did, you can be done in eight days. And there's a similar thing here with a bunch of teams just jumping right into a best of three series is that... Best of five, right? Best of fives, excuse me. Three wins to win a best of five series. Mm-hmm. But even so, it's very easy to see that a team is going to just kind of get jumped you know, that, like, the, the series will get away from them quickly. And I would say, like, with a decent amount of confidence, that's going to happen to somebody. Uh, I hope it's not the Leafs, but you can certainly see a road to Columbus winning this series. No problem. Yeah, and, and as yeah. always, the most important thing in any NHL series is goaltending. Yes, and theirs has been a lot better than ours this year. Yes. So... Yeah, all you can hope is that, you know, Corpusello and Merzlikens revert to the anonymous status that they had a couple years ago. I mean, Corpusello was well thought of as a prospect, but yeah, you know, and we need Freddie Anderson to be good Freddie as opposed to the more recent model that we've experienced. This is a tough series. I think, like, the Leafs look like a better team, and if you want optimism... It's that probably all things being equal, they are better by some amount. But there are so many things that you can put on the Columbus side of the ledger that it almost outweighs the Leafs just probably being a little better in general. You know, like the overall toughness, the team fit, the fact that they are getting a huge injury boost and the fact that they've had great goaltending. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is very close to a coin flip in my opinion. Yeah, you know, okay. as you were saying. One thing I'm I'm looking at now, I'm looking at their goaltending stats. Corpus Auto has a quite negative goal saved above expectation. That's fascinating. I guess they have to be assuming a pretty excellent defense in front of them. Yeah, yeah. So Merzlikens has been the. It looks like he, he'll probably be the starter. But even but... Merzlikens is just average relative <clears throat> to to that, which is again still better than what the Leafs like. It really can't be overstated, kind of how bad Freddie Anderson has been this year. It hasn't gone well, and I think that there has been some reluctance to blame him to the extent that is owed, because the Leafs are, like, a crappy defensive team. And also, like, Freddie has three years of history being a, a quite good goaltender for the Leafs. Right. But, uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, look, if Freddie Anderson plays to form this year, this all feels very different. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying that everything is solved for the Leafs by any means, but, like... They're a lot closer to fifth in the conference, I think, than they are eighth, where they are now. So, at any rate, that is kind of how we face up against Columbus. They worry me. They worry me a lot. I would be worried about anyone in this format. But there are a lot of things that seem to make Columbus primed for an upset. And it has to be said, we didn't finish ahead of them by much. We had the same point total. Yes. So... Yeah, there's there's just a whole list of things that make me uneasy there. But to be honest, like there, there's no team I particularly want to face in the in the playoffs, like in in this, uh, in this best of five, right? Like I guess maybe New York, 
The Rangers? Yeah. Yes, sorry, yeah. the Rangers, not the Islanders. Um, yeah. The, the, well, the Rangers are, are bad. I mean, you can envision a scenario where any of these teams win, though. All you need is, you know, Zibanejad and Panarin to go supernova, which right. they can do, and then get some goaltending, and there you go. But yeah, I... The Leafs should beat several of these teams, but they their edge is not that pronounced. And so, once you take that into account, it's it's scary for yeah. us, frankly. And, and if Columbus know? is able to get the Leafs to play the low event style, that increases the variance even further. Yeah, and they've done it before. Uh, you know, say what you will, I, I think... For a while, John Tortorella became a meme, but he's done some things coaching-wise that are pretty effective, and he probably deserves some credit for that. You know, I, I everything about this adds up to a tough challenge for Toronto. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so we had one other thing we were going to mention, which is that if the playoffs do come back, do we bring up Nick Robertson? Yes, so that it's an interesting question, um, which might and the, the the simple answer is probably not. Yeah, uh, just because the simple answer to everything, fun and exciting, is probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we're the world. You're right, but we would be allowed to. He signed an ELC, mm-hmm. right? Um, there wouldn't be any cap issues with it. I'm quite sure. They could do it if they wanted to. I mean. There are going to be all these issues about how the league manages uh, roster reserves because every other league below the NHL is canceled at this point, which is also why, you know, Nick Robertson Jr. season is done, so we don't have to worry about recalling him from there. But, yeah, um, the problem is, if the Leafs are totally healthy, which we think they should be by the time this happens, their top four left wings are Hyman, Mikhaev, Janssen, and Engvall. Robertson isn't playing ahead of any of those guys in the NHL yet. They have enough centers, probably. Um, Robertson is a winger anyway, but, like, you can't even rejig the lineup to put Engvall to center, I'm thinking. Like... Yeah, well, because then... Well, uh, you could. You could take out Gauthier, couldn't you? Yeah, you could. And I have to admit, you know, we are not a podcast that lauds Freddie Gauthier too often. But... I, I think if you put Engvall at fourth-line center... And then, then, and then you can put Robertson at fourth line left wing. Yeah, but then the question becomes, are you using him to his best advantage? Like, especially in light of how Sheldon Keith tends to coach and how I assume he will coach in the playoffs, it's quite possible this fourth line is going to be playing like six, seven minutes a night. Yeah. <clears throat> and so is there a utility in bringing Robertson, who is very cool, straight from junior and then putting him into a very limited offense situation just to kind of breathe the air. He could help PB2, too, I think. Yeah, probably. Right, is it, is it worth... Is it worth... Is it worth it for that alone? Like, if he, the thing is, if he adds one goal from PP2, like, suddenly mm. it's worth it. Yeah, but... But, again, you know, we, we, we yeah. overload the top power play unit, right? We, we play them the majority of the time so it's a pretty minor role and this is like first the nhl is hard yeah right the nhl is very hard it's very hard for someone as young as nick robertson it, it, there's a reason it's very very uncommon for people to make the nhl especially a second round pick in their you know post-draft year yeah he's had an extraordinary year he's an extremely exciting prospect the fact remains the nhl is a hell of a long way above junior and I just can't help thinking, if he's introduced to it, maybe he's going to just take to it like nobody's business. You know, like Mitch Marner style or something like that. But the odds are it's going to be an adjustment period, and that's fine. Um, the fact that we're even talking about him coming to the NHL maybe next year is crazy to me. You know, in light of, again, being a second-round pick and not only being um, the second season after his draft. It's just... I don't know that, unless he's unbelievably good right away, I don't know that you get a huge marginal benefit from sticking him on there versus there's an excellent risk of it being kind of a rough introduction for him. Mm-hmm. And it's not like these are preseason games. No, 
Like, you're getting thrown right into it. There's no learning curve. There's no, oh, sorry, I didn't realize I had to stand there. You know, there's very little room for error. And, you know, I can think of teams that have called up players in pretty short order, even for the playoffs after, you know, collegiate seasons or stuff like that. But this is a big jump. And as much as I like Robertson, I just don't know that he's ready for that yet. Um, So all of that adds up to me to probably not going to happen unless the Leafs rack up a bunch of injuries real quick because they should be starting the postseason totally healthy. Yeah, and it's also worth noting, like, all the issues that NHL players are having with, oh, you know, they can't really go out and skate, right? It's hard to maintain uh, peak fitness and all that stuff. Like that, That's also impacting junior players, right? Yeah. And perhaps even more so because NHL players have money, so they have probably more room to um, actually to kind of maintain their workouts than, than a lot of junior players. I don't know if Robertson is or isn't. I've seen some clips of him on Instagram doing like skating or puck handling drills. I'm sure he's keeping busy. By all accounts, he works his ass off. Right, so but like it, you know, it's it's not, it's not the same. Obviously, right? It's mm-hmm. not as if he's able to make up for this lost time. Right. And so, in light of all that, I just find myself thinking, you would be throwing him into like the craziest situation, and there is a scenario that I can envision, where he keeps building on the incredible junior year that he's had. And it's kind of a crazy time, and he kind of steps in there with dynamic play and scores a key goal, and everyone says, wow, what a brave and bold move by GM Kyle Dubas to put him in and know he was ready. It's just that seems to me very much like, you know, the 100th percentile outcome. Mm-hmm. And the more likely thing is not even especially helpful from a development perspective. So that's kind of where I'm at. I would really kind of like on some level to see him because he's the most exciting forward prospect in the organization, bar none. But I just don't... The only forward prospect in the organization at this point. It gets real thin after him, man. (laughs) You know, just as we sort of gradually keep an eye on the top 25, under 25 series, I don't know when that's going to happen again in light of the restarting season. But, yeah, like, it's Robertson and then it, I guess, like... Korshkov? And SDA? And Abramov. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, things get a lot less impressive really quickly. And as we covered with Adam Brooks, right? Like, Mikhail Abramov has done a very good job in in the queue this year. He's scored a lot of points, really increased um, his production. It's been a positive year from that perspective. If he makes the NHL, he's probably not going to be, you know, anything more than a third liner. And most likely, it's probably going to be like a fringe guy, right? Because that's just typically what happens for for players drafted where he was drafted, even when they do make the NHL. I mean, it's hard not to sound like, you know, a wet blanket when you bring this up. But it's like most prospects fail. Mm -hmm. Like that's the default case is them not getting to the NHL. Some of them don't get entry-level contracts. Some of them scuffle around in the AHL and then go to Europe and have, you know, a nice pro career that way. It's just very tough. And so, I mean, I think you can say, look, I'd rather him torch Junior than not do it. You know, that certainly suggests that he's positioning himself to take the next step. But even with Robertson, who is like lapping the field uh, in goal scoring in the OHL this year, it was very cool to see. But like, it's just a long way up to the top. And I think he's going to be an NHL player. Don't get me wrong. I just don't see it happening in this weird funhouse mirror playoff system that we're about to go into. So. Yeah, being an NHL player at 18 in these circumstances is, you know, perhaps a bridge too far. Yeah, it's a hell of a trial by fire. So, Yeah, pretty much. I, it's Yeah, I, I don't expect... Robertson to even really be seriously considered by the Leafs. It's a fun idea, but I think it's it's just that, a fun idea. Yeah. And it is worth noting that when healthy, the Leafs still do have quite a deep forward group. Like, I would consider it among the strongest in the league. If you can put something like Janssen, Kerfoot, Kapanen as your third line, that's a good third line in my estimation. So... The Leafs, as constituted, aren't in that desperate space 
where it, you kind of start reaching for wilder solutions. So that's why I don't think they will do it. And then, you know, we've laid out why it might not even be a good idea. Yep, pretty much. Um, oh, there's something else I wanted to add, but I've it slipped my mind. So it probably wasn't that important. <laughs> Look at you three hours later. Do an addendum tweet. <laughs> and, uh, we'll yeah, so I, I think that was pretty much everything we wanted to discuss. Actually, we have a bit of time extra. Was there any series of the of the predicted of the you know based on the 2014 playoff bracket that you kind of are particularly interested in or think oh that, that'll be neat or that's like a bit of an injustice um i can um, i can run through them for you just quickly or in for yeah audience, no I, i've got them in front of me uh pittsburgh versus montreal will be interesting mm-hmm. uh i have to admit it's actually a little disappointing how there aren't some better matchups yeah like it's maybe, it's it's not yeah. it's not amazingly high on rivalries really um, the projected matchup so far, which is just the way the standings broke down. You you do get Carolina, New York is interesting. Um, and I saw apparently so Carolina and Tampa Bay were, were two of the teams that voted against this system, this 2014 mm-hmm. bracket. Tampa reportedly said because they think the lower seeded teams who have a more intense best of five playoff round will be fresh, will be kind of more um, in match fitness, I suppose, than the higher seeded teams who have a round robin which won't be as intense which I, that seems like a weird thing because it's like they're both hockey games like if you want to play intense games you can you can just take that round robin very intensely but yeah i i mean i i get where they're coming from that it's hard to like totally simulate the same psychological state but it's like you'd probably still rather not be under threat of elimination than to be under threat of elimination yes so. I, you know, I, yeah. I would Tampa. If you want to trade positions, I, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. Um, Carolina and New York is interesting. So yeah, Car- Carolina is the other team that said no to uh, this, and I wonder if in this case it's just because New York has seemingly always beat them, the Rangers. Um, and I don't think mm. this really means much. We talk a lot about kind of crimes against stats and i think one of them is you know players record against certain team right and actually this happens yeah. a lot against the leafs uh, whenever they face a star player because it's like you know sydney crosby scored the most points against the leafs of any you know atlantic team so like, yeah because we've been asked his entire career yep <laughs> it was true of ovechkin for a long time yeah i think like we're, we're one of the teams ovechkin has scored the most on well he scored a lot on every team but we've been especially bad yeah. Right. So it's like it's kind of obvious, and you know what does Ovechkin scoring a hat trick against us in two thousand eight really have to do with Ovechkin in twenty twenty, against an entirely different team? Not much. Yeah. Um. But Hendrik Lundqvist has like just eye popping numbers against Carolina throughout his career. Um. So I wonder if Carolina is like spooked by that. <laughs> I I don't know particularly why they said no to this. So so that's an interesting series. The Western series are are honestly quite bad in my opinion. <laughs> Like there's, there's, yeah, none of them are interesting. I actually can't, yeah, and, and I recognize this is kind of what happens when you slice out the four best teams. Like the most exciting series in the West, I think, would include like Colorado and Vegas. And so right now we don't get that. But that said, Edmonton, Chicago. I, I mean, I will say I don't think that either team can play much defense, so that might be kind of fun. But. Yeah, and then you have, like, Vancouver, Minnesota, like, put me to death. And then Calgary versus Winnipeg. I mean, it'll be either Hellebuck wins that series, or Calgary should eat them alive. I'm sorry, Winnipeg does not have, like, anything in the way of defense. But that's probably the biggest goaltending differential of any matchup. That's true. And so, that could certainly balance the scales a little bit. I just like Winnipeg has been an awful fancy stat team all year. Yeah, they've, and they've we, been. We all know their defense is been afraid to a frazzle, but yeah, they've they've been rescued by Hellebuck repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, so either that happens again, or I think this is going to be over pretty quick. Yeah, but yeah, I mean the reality is the Leafs coming back. Obviously, we're going to watch them. Like, what else are we going to do? So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's I good. Guess it's we'll, good. We'll endure. It's going to be interesting. Like I, we we touched on this. I'm not sure how I feel about this from an ethical point of view. Like I I suppose yeah. There there's a way to do this as safely as possible. Um I I don't particularly trust the NHL to do that. 
And, yeah, and I want to hear what's going to happen, and that will influence it somewhat. As it stands, I'm. I got a lot of questions. The plan cannot and be hope no one tests are... positive. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm afraid of. Like, they're just thinking, okay, we're going to be so good at sealing it off that it just won't happen. And it's like, well, you want to be so good that it has a lower chance of happening. But this thing is contagious. That's kind of the problem. So, yeah, I guess we'll see about that. I assume they'll have to put something forward. And then maybe we'll say if it's inadequate or adequate or whatever. Yeah, and it's also like so. for, for the coaches and players and support staff, we're going to have to be isolated from their families for, for months on end in like an unfamiliar city for most of them. That doesn't seem amazing either. I don't blame players for not being thrilled about that. Or coaches. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how stringently that's going to be maintained. But yeah, I, I think most people would not be happy to be away from their families for two months for anything short of a war, frankly. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot that's up in the air right now. And we've said before, it sure looks like the NHL is going to make a very serious run at this and they have every incentive to do so because they need to start making some money somehow. But it's, it's tough. It's a tricky situation, and again, I'm just not sure that we've seen the change in circumstances that we would have to see to say, okay, X, X, and Y is why this is all going to be very different from what would have happened if we just kept going in March. Yep, pretty so, much. We'll see. Yep. Okay, so it seems like a pretty good idea to end it off there. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So uh, you can find uh, all of mine and Foodman's work at petchapanpuppets.com. Uh, given the lack of content, we're also kind of re-discussing old articles that you know we've all written at PPP. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's a chance to relive our good and bad takes. Um, so you can find all of that at petchmanpuppets.com. <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.